Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Grace. I'm Cole. And welcome to Idle Talk. It's a podcast where we bullshit about what we want to talk about that week, <laughs> that time. It's quarantine hours yet again. We're hanging out, trying to make the best of a bad situation by talking to each other about the 2008 video game Prince of Persia. Which is just absolutely great. It's, it's pretty good. It's a cool thing to... <laughs> To put a game in my Xbox that I really expected very little of and to be like, huh, this game was doing stuff when a lot of other games in 2008 were doing other stuff that it was usually gray and involved getting behind cover. Right. Well, I mean, that is one thing about it that even though I feel like there's a, I mean, Nolan North plays the prince. Sadly. Right. And you can tell that uh, there's a little bit Uncharted energy yeah, when, they're trying to dude, channel. Uncharted 1 come out in 08? Did it come or was it 09? Out I don't know. Uh, that was oh, 2007. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, that's that's long enough. I feel like that it could have had an influence. Yeah, on, for sure. On this, still um, crazy to think that a game in 2007 opens the way that game opens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I guess you know this is maybe me showing my ass a little bit. I didn't really think Dude, about it. I mean, I was like 12. I mean, but not to like excuse narrow-mindedness, but yeah, I wasn't thinking thinking about that either. Yeah. But you know who was thinking about that probably was the grown human beings with high-paying jobs who were making that game. <laughs> yeah. And so it's in high up positions who can make those sort uh, of choices. Uncharted's not great. I don't like that series. Yeah, I played them you all. You know what? My hot take is I haven't played four, uh, uh, but you know what? Uncharted three, that's the best one. Yeah, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say I feel like some people have come around on that, but I don't think that's actually true. I think I was just using my sort of sort of circle as what the norm might be. But four was mm-hmm. um I, I played four. It came out like the like the finals week of I think my sophomore freshman year of college, and I remember playing it. As my dorm yeah. was already packed up, my dorm room was already packed up, and my roommate had already left, and I was playing it alone in this room with, like, very hospital lighting and very cold tile floors and just plugging away at it and being like, wow, the games I enjoyed in middle school and the CDs, the way the series has progressed, has just created something that I absolutely, absolutely do not judge. The multiplayer was uh, actually pretty cool. Yeah. I always liked the multiplayer in those games. I actually played that a little bit and I had a good time with it. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I like good grapple. Yeah. The grapple feels good. Yeah. I, I always thought the shooting in those games felt fine. I was never like... Yeah. It's so pushed off by it. Neither was I. I think I have maybe just low standards for that stuff, though. I'm like, I yeah, honestly. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, because when you were... We were talking earlier about Prince of Persia and you're like, man, the combat is so bad. I like, yeah. I've come around on that now. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty bad. But, but yeah. when I, the first it, couple hours, it's like, oh, this is actually kind of neat. Um, yeah, it just feels like the combat you'd see of, like, a rendering in an E3 demo where it's super flashy, but and it's like, this can't be how the game's actually going to play. And then yeah. they turn it into, like, this weird... Turns it almost like a 2D or, like, a 3D arena, like, fighting game for a second, and it's just terrible. And the thing I hate about it is you do the same fight so many times. That's, like, part yeah. of it. Yeah, the boss battles are all uniformly bad, especially against, like, the big brute guy that you have to sort of use the environment oh, to yeah, get rid of. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did that first one, but I haven't gone back to that area. Okay, um, yeah, you'll see him again. Well, I should, yeah, I should say like I I have three of the powers now. Okay, yeah. And so I've done. I did the hunter area. Mm-hmm. That's the windmills, right? Uh, yeah. How many orbs do you have? I have 
a, I think a little over okay. 350. Yeah. How many orbs? It's orb you're, time. You're nearing, you're definitely over halfway. I think like three, you're like three fourths. Okay. It's pretty short. Yeah. All things considered. Yeah, no, and I'm vibing with that. I, you know, I appreciate a game that's quick, especially after putting like 70 hours into Kingdom Hearts 2 for some godforsaken reason. Jeez. Yeah, this game will set you back like eight. <laughs> yeah, I was having a bad week. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's not, like I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, that was, you know, I was in a healthy place <laughs> when I was playing that. You're in a K-hole, a Kingdom Hearts hole. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts hole. It's like the E-hole in Gears of War. <laughs> It's emergence, <laughs> emergence day, there's just Daffy Duck, or whichever duck is in that game, casting spells. <laughs> Zelda Duck, the most powerful mage in... Oh, actually, actually never mind. <laughs> That's Game Hearts 3 spoilers. <laughs> A game I have not yet played. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, let's, let's, let's talk about Prince of Persia before we fall down the Kingdom Hearts Definitely. rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I really like the platforming yeah. in this game so much. It's this kind of platform. It reminds me of Mirror's mm-hmm. Edge, in that it's like you have to chain together like button configurations. Where like, oh, you're I'm in this situation, and so I have to use like these set of buttons. And so it's it's yeah. like puzzly, you know, in a way that Mario isn't. It's like about knowing what tools you have and how to use them effectively. And I think it's cool that you can avoid doing fights with it. Also, <laughs> yeah, if you're just fast enough. Yeah, which I think is which like is cool. a, isn't he? Think I mean, it is. It's also like oh. They maybe kind of know that the fights. Yeah, are I not think great. they knew. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, they were bad in uh, in Sands of Time. I remember that. Not good. Also. Yeah, I, just, I think the platforming has always sort of been like the sort of high point of that series. Yeah. Well, and the, at least in my memory, I don't remember any like encounters beyond no spoilers. But the final boss in Prince of Persia. Oh wait, what we're talking about is interesting not for the gameplay but for what it does with perspective this is also an interesting game because it feels like a little bit generations in a certain way Mm -hmm. that um like you don't always have control camera or at least like the game is willing to take control of it away from you very immediately which i feel like is very out of vogue these days yeah and i feel like Um, i think i've said this before to you or i also wrote about it in a recent thing i did for paste on friday it was about how it feels like one of the few like AAA modern games that I can think of that actually treats camera as more than a function. Like there's a very a much a thematic purpose to what you're doing with the analog stick. Yeah. In certain ways, especially once you get closer to the end of that game. Right. And why well, I oh go ahead, sorry. Uh, that, I was gonna go on to a different aspect of the game that I like, but if you're gonna continue on this then by all means go. Okay, yeah. Um well I guess I wanna like what the map i mean i guess we could we could talk about like what we haven't really explained what this game is really yeah um but i mean part of it's like it's prince of persia it is one of these yeah it's in a real way it's like a a savvy man emerges from the desert and there's a princess and there's mystical quandaries you have to platform your way to fixing yeah so there's like a there's like a big demon man and he's gonna get unleashed and you gotta go to all the special areas and activate him they say his name so many times, and I've from, I I don't know, do not remember it. Ar- Araman. I yeah, Ar- the, yeah. I the good. He's also like the god, the, the yeah. good, who's like Osmond yeah. or what? Donnie Osmond. Donnie Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie Osmond gave me the cool jumpy powers. Um, and yeah, also I think it's interesting. This game is clearly drawing from Eco. Um, Definitely. In a big way, because it's also like you have. So the princess is like with you the whole time, and you 
you know, and she has abilities to help you out platforming mm-hmm. and combat and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and also, it's like, funny that she feels like way more of an agent in that game world than what's her name did in Bioshock Infinite. Elizabeth, yeah, I thought yeah. the same thing. It's like because it feels so collaborative as opposed to it does. Like, I mean, I guess there is still like you press a button and she does the thing for you. Sometimes. Yeah, you still ma- you she you, you still sort of have ownership over in the sense that like her core verbs are usually yeah. started by you. But there's also a, a um, an element like she keeps up with you, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like Elizabeth kind of gets out of your way. Yeah. Right. She's infinite. Like she's just not around, and you don't have to worry it's, about her. I'd like, right? The animations when platforming with her like sell this they sell it so well. Yeah. And it's like they go, they speak volumes just for her like her as a just like another body and agent in this game world yeah well i think like something that strikes me is when you like go the wrong way and you're like oh i have to turn around and you're on like a pillar or you're on like a platform and there's not enough room for you to like scooch by and so you like grab her hands and you both twirl around each yeah. other right that's, some, that's, that's some good shit right there yeah it's re- well and the thing is that yeah that sensation of like unity is i think really unique for i mean i haven't played mm-hmm. eco to be fair so i don't know like but it feels kind of ahead of the curve on what like Bioshock Infinite was doing, which was spent a good amount of marketing time talking about how good the AI is for Elizabeth, right? And how like definitely, you know, um, and to be fair, a lot of that stuff is I think in the margins of that game. Like if you you kind of have to like wait around places and like watch Elizabeth do things to mm-hmm. see it. Um, but I also don't think the game really encourages you to do that. No, I, it just with all the. Bioshock games, Infinite is the one that is the one that constantly pushes you forward the most. Yeah, well, it's very like I mean, you I think you feel that tension that it's both like, I mean, yeah, this is not in praise of Infinite by any means, but it is a game that wants to be like a, a capital A art game, but then it, yeah. oh, we also have to make a big budget. Like we also have to do the, you know, we also the thing. do the thing, and it's so it gets even further away from like the immersive sim roots of. You know, the Bioshock is interesting, Absolutely. right? I mean, yeah, this is all pretty obvious stuff. This is, we don't need to talk Bioshock Infinite. People will talk about that game <laughs> for a game. long time. Um, but Prince of Persia, good game. I really love how, like, how the art style also works with the game's narrative, in a sense, that like the core narrative itself feels like a sort of how George Miller talks about the Mad Max films, how they're campfire tales that over time just sort of get fractured and retold and like become sort of their own things where yeah i feel like this game starts to emerge like the prince just emerges from the desert like out of like seemingly randomly and then like the art style itself is so it's cell shaded so it's all and it's almost like watercolor-ish so it feels like it's very porous like the story could change at any moment any moment depending yeah. on who's telling it like there's no like hard edges so much of the world building is like through dialogue between mm-hmm. um Malika and the prince who is never named as least so as of yet <laughs> the, the prince, prince of persia. persia um and um and so much of, i think it's actually really cool to be in a ruined world where there's a person who has been there and seen it at its height and is like mm-hmm. telling you about yeah, it. yeah like there's a moment when you go to i think it's one of the it's one of the cities and she like stops it's, it goes into a cutscene she stops for a moment and she's sort of taken aback by everything that's happening yeah and the prince is keep like ur- like keeps like urging her forwards, but she's like, "You don't know how this feels to see like my world be like yeah. just absolutely torn apart." And then he does like the dumb thing of like telling her to hold on to the anger, like some <laughs> Batman stuff. I mean, this is... But 
that moment yeah that moment well i think really all good. the like all the elka stuff works for me because um and like i kind of know how this game wraps up which i don't think won't spoil here um and i'm curious to see how that how that hits for me once i get there but i do also feel like because that's one of the things in like in infinite is that elizabeth is like this innocent right because she's been in this tower her whole life and there's you know yeah i mean and and that she's like unaware of what the world is and how it works right and so yeah i mean yeah like it's a dad game you know sort mm -hmm. of <laughs> there's actually okay this is not sequitur but i remember an interview with uh jeff Keeley, ken levine yeah okay. back in the day before the release of Bajor Gambit, where Jeff Keighley was, like, joking about, like, like, oh, you think there's going to be some romance with Elizabeth? And Ken Levine just looks Ugh. horribly awkward. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, I, that's... that's a, yeah. Ugh. That sounds like 2012 in games. Yeah, I mean, it really was. That's what the, you know... I, I think this was, like, 2011, maybe, but... Yeah, or 2011. I think it came out in 2012. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, I used to watch a lot of game trailers, you know, so. Yeah, I used to watch a lot of G4. Yeah, I watched so. a little G4. I remember I first saw Uncharted 2 on, when I was watching X-Play, like on like the actual TV channel. Yeah. Like way back in like oh, probably 08 when they started showing. a different or 09. time where I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like video games have become so have like built their own like twitch and stuff has has its own mm -hmm. avenue for doing this kind of thing so you just don't need like it channel. has its own sort of channel yeah. with which you can show stuff but yeah. if i was watching g4 every day i probably would have seen prince of persia 2008 on it at some point yeah probably and it's it is it is weird to be playing this game and think how weird like not weirdly but how honestly contemporary it feels and like so many aspects yeah but I think it also, like, the thing is it, it, you know, it feels of its time, but it also, like, stretches out beyond that in a real way. Um, yeah. Like, it's about, like, I think sort of what you pointed out is there's a mythic element to it, right, that where the game is um, interested in this broad storytelling. And I don't mean that in, like, a reductive way, but it's just, like, trying to, you know, it's a fairy tale, right? And then it sort mm -hmm. of gains a... I think, like, the stuff that's aged, I think, really is, like, the sort of Whedon, Snark, Nolan North. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. horrible. Like, there's the talk of, there's, like, the talk of him, like, being covered in chocolate as he runs through, like, a brothel or something. He, like, has a oh, joke yeah. about that. And he's like, you wouldn't know how hard that is. No, it's, um, I don't remember. It's, it's some, like, horrible. It's, I don't remember. It's bad. And the thing is, actually, like, my, my partner was sitting next to me, and she was like, I'm just upset that western people do not understand what harms are <laughs> you know and i think that's also something that maybe yeah, we should yeah. talk a little bit about is like actually i don't know who plays elica um but it's but yeah it's, it's definitely a white yeah. dude playing the prince um and that's and frustrating right yeah it is especially that it's nolan north whose voice is just yeah. like synonymous with like generic video game yeah i'm trying to characterization I think about he was the penguin an arc yeah you get with the, the cock yeah uh -huh. in the Arkham games that was like the first game I heard him in or at least that I was conscious of hearing him in I feel like it was definitely uncharted yeah 
Well, I didn't have a PlayStation 3, so, you know, I was out of that ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, I got a PlayStation 3, like, a year after a launch as a gift. Yeah. And I think it came with Uncharted. Like, oh, yeah. So, that's actually how I played the first three is that my brother got a PlayStation 4. And so, I played that on there. Oh, the, the, yeah. the HD collection? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I also yeah, similar sense memories about Last of Us because I'm super sick. It was like a winter cold. And I was just in the mm-hmm. basement of my parents' house, which is like all concrete, you know, and like just playing. Un- yeah. I mean, playing Last of Us. Yeah, I remember when that game came out, my friend, like a close friend of mine and myself went to the midnight launch for it and then just like hold up in my basement with our TVs like facing opposite sides of each other just playing the story. With headphones in, it's oh, not yeah. playing it together, but like just like experiencing it together, which I don't think that's a good yeah, game, that's, but that's like a, that was a very good like experience. Yeah, well, I, I remember uh, my brother got really into Dark Souls when we were living together, apartment, and um, and like his friend would come over, and set up the TVs next to each other, yeah, <laughs> and just play Dark Souls not not together, but like at the same time, and that was like it's a really treasured. Yeah, it's just sort of ex- like. Ex- being there together in like a physical space, experiencing a similar story. Yeah. Maybe we also did. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That's that's really all. Yeah. Well, like we also did until dawn. Oh yeah, um, we we uh like with a group of friends. I we um in one in my freshman dorm, we dragged my PS4 into like the common room and like it was like me and a few close friends playing it together, and then more and more people start like, were walking by the common area, seeing what it was, and sitting down. So that by the time we finished it, and like, over the course of like literally one night, there was like. 25 people watching us play it oh that's incredible which is like it was just this bizarre experience of like to me that i know i know that game is probably not that great but my like memory and like just sort of sense memory of that experience is like just absolutely fantastic yeah i mean i don't i i have like a lot of fondness for it um and i think at least it's it's better than a lot of games in that it is like very aware of the texts that's drawing from yeah it definitely knows what it's doing yeah, and sort of not, like, it's not self-conscious about being a video game, I think, in yeah. a way that I think Arted and Last of Us are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, which actually I also think Prince this game is not, even though it is clearly drawing from, like, Naughty Dog design uh, mm-hmm. sensibilities. Yeah, it's very aware of the gaminess of its systems and, like, how that interweaves yeah. with the core narrative of it. Yeah, how do you feel about, like, the nonlinear stuff? Because basically there's, like, a bunch of levels. Um, yeah. But you can unlock them in a... Not any order, but, like, different orders, right? Yeah, um, it's... You can sort of pick and choose to an extent. But the game yeah. will start into the same place. And you'll, but I don't know. I, I still think... On, I mean, I don't think the open-ish world and, like, the sort of spiderweb-like level design does anything for the game beyond maybe pad out its runtime and... Just as some, just a way they can put more orbs in the world. More orbs. Yeah, the orbs are good though, so I don't have, I'm not super perturbed by it. But like in comparing it to Sands of Time and the Prince of Persia games from the PS2, Xbox era, I feel like the sort of linear, not linear level design, but like you do a mission, you hit a load screen, cutscene into the next mission. I feel like that might just work better for the series and like its platforming. Yeah. Rates. Well, I sort of think it's it's tricky because so much of the the game is like building this relationship between these two characters, um, and and what's interesting is it's a relationship you can almost choose to 
opt into or not. Like, you don't have yeah. to hit the left trigger to experience. No, you don't. Yeah. Them grow, which is actually that's actually a good interesting that's a good point because i sort of was like i was like i wish this would just play while i'm like hopping around i definitely forgot about it a few times yeah um and sometimes and it's it, like also sometimes i wish i would know when it's like just them explaining a puzzle yeah or whatever oh my the, <laughs> you know? the puzzle the first big puzzle i don't know have you done it yet where it's the like it's like the gears where you're hopping onto the red um the red power. Uh, yes, yeah, I did do that. Uh-huh. I I sat there for like twenty minutes, like because I didn't, I didn't hit the left trigger. I was like, what's ha- what? None of this is like visually explained to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I just looked it up and I was like, screw this. Yeah. So I last night I was it was just like late at you know what we're talking like oh I'll just put this on to um just to like have something to do with my hands mm-hmm. and then um. Emma was like, okay, I'm going to get ready for bed. And then I got to, like, the sluice water filling puzzle. Yeah. And I just, like, I was just tired. I think my brain just could not <laughs> process what was going on. I did manage to do it, mm-hmm. but it was, like, a torturous process. Yeah. Uh, but, when it, like, also when it comes to games, like Uncharted and, like, this, that, like, or more so Uncharted than this, where... There are puzzles in it, but the puzzles aren't, like, the core gameplay loop. I sort of usually am, am just eager to get through them as fast as possible. Like, I'm sort of, like, I kind of like that that puzzle where you're climbing the tower with the red power and the gears. Yeah, that was, that was a, once I was like, oh, I should probably be, list, be like, interacting with the princess yeah. to like, learn about this. Um, it sort of all fell into place, and that was, that's definitely one of the more, that's, like, one of the higher points of the game that sort of yeah sequence, in my opinion why i i really like it when the boss battles sort of drop away and just make you do platforming because that's the good part you know it's always like oh yeah now yeah. i get to do the fun part <laughs> yeah a, a prince of persia that maybe has not no combat but only some in the boss battles instead of you're fighting another being it's just like a more challenging platforming or more drawn out platforming sequences i mean that sounds yeah no I, th- I think so well it's also it's interesting because um i feel like prince of persia's brand of platforming gets lumped in with uncharted um maybe I, I might be off base here but i feel like people are like oh these are sort of automatic platformers um which is yeah which is really not true of this game i think it is it is mostly true of uncharted i think um yeah and the thing about Prince of Persia that took me some getting used to is, like, the platforming animations, when you hit the button, it commits to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was throwing me for a loop for a little bit. Like, you can't, you can't, like, in Assassin's Creed, you can sort of sequence break out of certain platforming animations. Right. Which you absolutely cannot do in this game. Yeah. Which gets to, like, I, so does I forget, it's like, oh, I have to press B, not A, or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, on the, on the little, on the, like, little circular yeah. loops. Um, when this game came out, this is like only sort of late. When this game came out, it got a lot of press. I think about the not dying thing. Yeah, a lot of negative press, which is I th- interesting. I think that's so weird because it's just the same yeah. as like a checkpointing system, except exactly that's literally all it is. You. But given that, given the way that you're always being saved, I do kind of wish they had leaned more into the sort of challenging platforming and the and like the almost like not this hard, but like it's kind of reminds me of Super Meat Boy where you'll die and you'll be right back where you fell. Yeah. Like, I would have liked if this game had challenged me a lot more when it comes to platforming. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like, like, it has such a, especially, like, once you get, so all the areas are, like, corrupted by the evil demon god. 
mm-hmm. and then you like get to a point and you uncorrupt them and then they become it's like just the okami thing where like yeah and it's, it, spread out it becomes like legitimately stunning like i kind of wish yeah. there was that corruption was not there to begin with because yeah it pops so like yeah well i think it's it like does... ge- it's like genuinely magical yeah well i think that it does it does make that more impactful on right yes i agree uh, but but yeah it's just like so so the vibe is just like super chill <laughs> yeah. right it's like a, like i've been podcasting a little bit playing it and it's like very you know good for that i think and like a, but in a way that's like it tickles a part of my brain that's like very like i'm still engaged in it right it's not it's not like when i was grinding out items in kingdom hearts 2 where it was yeah like, you can definitely li- you can definitely like but, do other stuff or listen to a podcast while you play it yeah but uh-huh. the game's the game's like overall score is pretty captivating in the sense that like it definitely feels like an indiana jones sort of b-sides yeah no but it I, does it it okay, captures that sort of it's like does it's like this like the feeling of discovery in interesting ways yeah well i think it, it also just does so much that you are not like exploring a place on your own but that someone who is like native to that place is with you mm-hmm. right i feel like it um like this is not a game about colonizing a place, right? It's about yeah, it's a game about retaking. You're not retaking, but like, yeah, just reclaiming. Yeah, I feel like there's because that language could get stupid. Yeah, that yeah. But but no, but I think I get exactly what you're saying, right? Because it's like this person who is supposed to be here, right? Is like, this is her. These are her people. This is her like mm-hmm. place, right? And then, you know, she is there. And you were there to, like, help her do this thing. Yeah. And I think that that sense creates... And I think also the fact that she saves you all the time, right, is, like, creates this real sense of, like, collaboration that, like, you could not do this without each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like... I don't know. It's it's cool. It's a weirdly unique feeling. It is. To games, I I think, especially at this scale. I do love the saving... The savior animation. Just the close-up shot of their hands intertwined. I think that's very good. Yeah, well, it's it's also cool, like the, when you when you get like sucked up by some goop. <laughs> it's like it's like goop. genuinely traumatic. Like it's a pretty intense animation <laughs> for like a T-rated game. Yeah, and then you like reach out your hand, and she like you know pulls you out, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, like it's I don't know, it's simple, right? Yeah. But it's there's a, I think so. I I mean I wrote about this. I wrote about Gears of War and reviving. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few months ago that was sort of about this how like hey we don't get saved in games very often and so like that experience is actually really interesting yes um but like years that almost feels like incidental or it's like kind of tangential to what the game's trying to do but in this it's like really vital to yeah, it it's, it's in a way that like, i think is what the game is doing yeah and then i guess on the wavelength of story i think a lot of the story, I think a lot of when it, like the game is actually doing like it's it's like capital N narrative work, it is in fact great. Um, but I think yeah. it's, I find it absolutely hilarious the times when you return to the temple to upgrade your powers and the princess's father is just like there waiting for you. <laughs> like is, is, is he just there the whole time? <laughs> like all so all sullen or is he? Yeah, like, I don't know. Is he getting into some kingly machinations or is he just? Yeah, I kind of wish. Like, I actually, I mean, I, I think I understand why the game is, like, so limited in scale, because it's, like, three mm-hmm. characters, basically. Um, excluding, like, the bosses who are... Just, like, goop, really various goop um, monsters. Yeah, one of them is mm-hmm. a lady. And you can definitely tell she's a lady. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's bad. It's, it's, it's very bad. <laughs> um, but it, uh, but also I think there was like, there's an element of like, it would be cool if there were other voices in this mm-hmm. game, other people I could talk it, to. It reminded me of, and, and like maybe yearn for Ashton in a sense, where in Ashton it's also a sort of narrative of you reclaiming, not reclaiming, but fighting against corruption in the world, but you see, you see like your actions in game, you're fighting against that corruption, and you see that brought to life and how you're rebuilding this little town, like your little home base. Which I think, yeah, yeah Ashton's I, awesome. Ashton's but I think cool, it would have been cool if maybe every area you beat, there's someone there who comes back to the temple and opens like a shop or something, or it's just another voice right, that can yeah. expand on the world and like what it means to have like your home and your way of life sort of steeped in ruin and goop. Lots of goop. Um, <laughs> well, there's so much goop. <laughs> what was funny is that um, sometimes I would when I was doing this loose puzzle, which so when, when an area gets corrupted, there's no water mm-hmm. there. It's all goop. Yeah, it's just real it's goop and ice. Goop. Um, yeah, and uh, so you're moving around the goop, and if you walk on the goop, then you fall into it. But sometimes it would be like I would be on like the edge mm-hmm. of the pool, and the game would be yeah. like, oh, you're in the goop. And so I'd be like falling into the <laughs> floor, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is good. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> These glitches are great. Yeah, I, I don't know, I think that compares it to Ashes really just has a similar I mean, it's obviously more directly drawing from Dark Souls, but it is also interested in like narrative and history mm-hmm. as like an oral, you know, sort of actual thing where you're you're encountering people in the world who have lived through things and sort of discovering the world. Yeah, it's them. almost like um, when when like despair and corruption and like decay is so colossal that all you have left it like of your history is the spoken word then you have to, like, go out of yeah. your way to, like, sort of reclaim that fabric by finding actual people who can expand upon that yeah. narrative. Right. And I think that's, like, something that's sort of interesting. I mean, like, I... Uh, some of the prince's characterization in Prince of Persia bothers me because it's very, like... Like, you know the arc of this is yeah. just Han Solo. That he's like, oh, I don't I don't care. I just want... To get I need all my donkey and my coin. You know. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of like the way he talks about the donkey is good. Though, yeah, he's very affectionate. I like a man uh, who likes his donkey. Uh, so, but like, um, I think something that kind of starts to do that, I think, in a cool way, is how much he's mm-hmm. interested in the world and like asks yeah. questions about what is happening. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear a protagonist sort of ask questions. Where I feel like in a lot of video games, you're not really asking questions; you're sort of doing button prompts that eventually take you to an answer. Yeah, well, like, I, there's this sequence I did in, um, in 80 Days that I think about a lot, where, uh, I was in, I think I was in India. So 80 Days, for those, for the unaware, is a game where it's around the world in 80 Days. Mm -hmm. It's like a text adventure game, um, and you play, like, the servant of the, like, guy who makes the best, so you're helping him travel across the world, and you have to, like, you know, the metagame is, like, you buying tickets and, like, trying to find the right transportation, and... And then you get to a town, and basically you have, like, adventure in, in the place you were in. Um, so I think I was in India, and I went... I was like, oh, I'm going to go visit this temple. And so, like, I'm just walking around the grounds, and then this, like, monk shows up. And he's like, you're not supposed to be here. And he just kicks me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, like, such a rare experience in video games. Because, like, so often, like, your access to a place 
is sort of assumed or it is like taken mm-hmm. by force or skill. Yeah, and like um, the more grand the place is seems to be, then the more likely you are as a player to have access to that. Right, and so I think it like that's not what Prince of Persia is doing, but it is significant. I think that you were like explicitly given access to the space by someone to whom it belongs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I didn't really. Yeah, this is interesting. This conversation is bringing out this sort of like anti-imperial theme that <laughs> I think is maybe unintentional, but that is sort of in this game. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't see it as. And super intentional, given that the prince himself is voiced by a white man. Yeah. <laughs> and, like... Yeah. There's some... I don't know. But, yeah, but the, when I first started playing it, the sort of, like, galaxy brain take I had that was in my mind for a moment then immediately gone when I remembered what the game is, I was like, what if the... was, like, is the goop oil? But then I was like, it's Ubisoft. They don't know how to... Yeah. That's <laughs> not happening right now. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah wait okay sorry i have to i sorry i got I went from oil to emulsion <laughs> super oil in gears of war the hardcore intense oil the, the oil that's so intense that it's orange and also creates insect monsters yeah um so the uh the like main villain in gears tactics is like this like bishop guy yeah it's like a named like it's a, like a named locust right yeah uh-huh and he's like a. He's like an ex, you know, doing experiments. He like makes, he like, he's the guy who made the broom ox and stuff. Um, oh, that's cool, actually. And then, so when you, so in the last mission of Act One, you meet him, and he has like a gas mask, and he just like takes a hit of emulsion, like a vape. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. I gotta respect that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then he like, you know, you like shoot him, and he heals. His face like heals, you know, because of the, because he he hit that emulsion. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, but it was just like, you know, it's like <laughs> something. You're like this. Ed- this edible ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I really want. I really want to play that game. Yeah, it's it's cool. I'm enjoying it a lot, and I think um, I think it's easier for me to deal with a tactics game that's more about immediate puzzles rather than like an overarching strategy because mm-hmm. I just get stressed playing. XCOM. Yeah, XCOM stress. I do like how it's. Like sort of hero character base, and there's not a lot of like external stuff beyond yeah. just like the core gameplay encounter, like the I mean core combat encounters. Like there's not like a macro, there's not, not a bunch of macro systems you have to worry about except beyond like loot. Yeah, yeah. There's like loot inside mission, and then you also can recruit people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically it. Um, and actually, where I am, it's like restricting your use of hero characters. Like the first mission of Act Two, it's like you can only use one, hmm. like one specific hero character. That's cool. And then, yeah. Oh, but I also did I tell you I unlocked Cole Thrashball Cole. Yeah, <laughs> isn't he? He, has, he serves like no story purpose, right? He just drops no, into your party. Just, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just Thrashball Cole. Good for you. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think Gears of War is so funny because it's like we can't just it can't just be football. It has to be Thrashball. <laughs> And yeah, it has, to, has to be like, like even more ex, like XX yeah. NFL. It, can, it can't be a simple hand grenade. It has to be like almost like a Morning Star thing. You sort of toss. <laughs> or, oh man! And, and no one is allowed to have a neck except for the women. Yeah. Do you remember the part in um, in Gears of War three when you score a goal for the Cougars? No. <laughs> so there's a part in Gears of War 3 where you play as Cole I think it's the later half of Act 1 and then you're in like the stadium where he used to oh, play Oh yeah. 
and then you like do a thing where you like plant a bomb and but he like pretends it's like a football game right and then it's like score a goal for the cougars it's like the objective marker that's 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 that good that's that good shit right there yeah <laughs> yeah gears is good oh. i want to play judgment again i bought i bought a bunch of, i bought treachery and beatdown city nice I yeah i want to play that i bought streets of rage 4 that's the newest game that i've bought recently yeah just because yeah well everything i saw about it dude should we just go straight into streets of rage yeah i i think we're i think we're good on prince of persia i don't think i have anything more to say about yeah it. um but we can always circle back so right. streets of rage 4 had not i really haven't followed it I didn't really know it was coming out. I didn't know how big of a deal it was to people in like the sort of who are engaged with beat em ups and like the history of Streets of Rage and like how it's been like yeah. lots of I don't know how many lot like lot like lots of years since like a genuine Streets of Rage game. But I just saw yeah. a trailer for it when it launched and I was like, This looks fun and given the current state of things, I do not want to invest myself in a narrative or like a very narrative heavy experience. And like yeah. a game where I get to play as characters, and and like my sole purpose is just like beat up people and eat turkey to regain health. I was like, that sounds cool, and the animation is gorgeous. Um, so I was, and then I just read some reviews on it, and I was like, I guess I'm gonna give it a shot. And then I played it a little bit last week. Then last night, I really sat down to commit myself to it, and I beat I beat the main story just two times back to back with two different characters. It's like oh, wow. two hours long. Right. I, I mean, think. that's kind of the yeah the. And my and my first playthrough was on easy because I'd never played a beat em up before, so I wanted to like get a feel for what I'm like. Like I know all you're doing is beating people up, but there's there's more nuance than that. Yeah, yeah. But well, I think that's what I've heard about this game as well. Is that I mean maybe this I feel like there's a little bit of like, um, elevated horror going on when people talk down to beat em ups. You know, people are yeah. like, oh, this is like the good beat em up because it's deep, like unlike other beat em ups, right? Yeah. Um, but I've heard I've heard that about this game is that there's there's a lot going on in it. There is. It's really cool, and I just sort of found myself just like deeply, deeply enjoying almost every moment spent in it. And like the yeah. soundtrack, the soundtrack is the soundtrack's like pretty good. I was, I'm surprised. I thought it would be. There's some bops, and there are some levels that just assuredly do not have bops within them. Yeah, no bops contained here. No, but overall, um, just like as like a yeah. core, like just package. It's yeah, like an absolute really... blast, and I think it's on, it's on Game Pass if I recall. recall yes, correctly. I think that's I think that's right. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's correct. That seems like an awesome deal. That's on Game Pass. Yeah. Which if I knew, I probably wouldn't have bought it if I knew, but I'm glad I bought it regardless. Yeah. No, that's I, I've been actually meaning to buy Outer Wilds for a while <laughs> because I'm like I like that game a lot. Yeah. And I like to of course throw some money their way, but still haven't gotten around to it. But um, yeah, it's just it's just really fun to walk from left to right through level as I punch people and do combos and like it's all animated super yeah. well and the, the there's such a simple mechanic that feels just absolutely incredible once you like sort of nail it down it's you can pick up weapons and use them and if you throw that weapon it'll and it hits an enemy it'll bounce back to you and it gives you a moment to, to grab it in midair and just like keep bashing people oh, that's and you can cool. sort of repeat that loop a few times until this this the weapon breaks and like it sort of takes a while to like get into the rhythm of like actually hitting the right button to catch it in midair because it's pretty easy to like mess up, and just like yeah. once you get it, it feels like just so good. Well, I really like that kind of stuff where it's like, um, like you're sort of rewarded for like understanding the way the mm-hmm. buttons and work. The, and there's definitely right? I mean, that's yeah. very basic. And there's definitely like just like a rhythm and a cadence to it that 
it doesn't feel musical, but it feels like I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to put it. I mean, I bet there's plenty of people who have a very steep awareness of beat up games who have written about this, but it just yeah, it just feels so good. I know. Um... I know uh, Amar at cigarettes on Twitter, which is spelled with an S I E G. Mm-hmm. Um, they have written about beat em ups and stuff, and we're talking about, I think, both treachery yeah. and beat down city. And I mean, tre- treachery and beat down city definitely seems like the more probably interesting game, but I feel like Streets of Rage 4 has yeah. been a nice way to like get in the in, get in, like, through the door of this sort of genre. I've never really immerse myself right yeah when i think apparently it's like there's a sort of strong rpg layer yeah that's what it seems Um, just based off what i've heard on like waypoint radio that's what it sounds like yeah which i think is cool like i i like jrpgs this (laughs) is what i'm discovering is i just you know people are like oh i i mean i think it's i okay you know what to be fair i probably wouldn't i think if like final fantasy 7 was not the narrative and just the game which also i don't think you can entirely separate those things but like just for the sake of exercise Mm -hmm. i don't think i would play it uh but it is not that yeah and it's good jrpg good are um i don't know i feel like i have a not like a mixed like relationship with them but the ones i've played i've enjoyed but i've also played some that just have absolutely have not jived with me but that's like any game it's just there's such a big time commitment and usually yeah. pretty story focused and just right yeah. now in this in like the current state of our quarantine moment, I feel like I should be playing JRPGs, but my mind is just not wired to like want to engage with something that big. Like I'm playing a lot of small things right now, which also feels great because it just being able to sit down and play something then that night or the night after, be able to hit credits on something and feel like I accomplished something is also just very nice. Yeah, that's that's a big thing because I, I sort of been struggling with the opposite problem where it's like, I'll start sort of multiple large games mm-hmm. and then I'm like in the middle of them and sort of trying to like, Oh, maybe I should try and yeah. clear myself out you know, of, of stuff. But also, yeah, like I really, ugh, like one of my goals at the beginning of the year was like, I want, I want to play more small games and like make a list on it. I know of like games I played that I liked and you know, um, yeah, like I, I, like I woke up early on Saturday morning and just played like five or six games on itch that looked interesting to me and just like gave each of the creators like a few bucks and I was like, I guess I'm going to give these a shot. Yeah. No, but I think that's like, the thing is that um, I think also like I didn't really even think about this, but AAA games occupy so much discourse, I think partially because of marketing and all of that, but also because they just take a long time. Yeah. Like they were like more, like not substantive, but there was just more content. Mm-hmm. Right, and so, like, this is the thing, is I remember when I was, I did not, I played Black Flag a few years ago, and didn't care for it at the time, mm-hmm. and it was around the same time I played 80 Days, and I was like, man, I played 80 Days for, like, eight hours, and I played Black Flag for, like, 40. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, that's funny, because like, I, I, I replay Black Flag every summer, and I just started, I just started a new playthrough of it this morning. Yeah, I just saw your, <laughs> I'm curious about how that will hit for me. Um, yeah. Because I do, I'm like in the middle of, I was streaming those games um, for a while. And then I I don't think streaming's really for me, but I do want to keep playing them. So I'm in the middle of Brotherhood right now, so I should pick it back up again sometime. Yeah. I do like, um, um, I do like Black Flag a lot. I can definitely see where someone would have a bunch of pain points with it. Yeah, I like, I like, I like Pirates. Pirates are good. I like the ship. 
I like to shoot the big cannon. Oh, yeah. I would like more pirate games, personally. Uh, but also, I say that, and I have not played Sea of Thieves even once, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, you should definitely install... I really want to... I played with the sort of with the range touch crew we played some sea of thieves like right around the time it came out and everyone sort of bounced off of it including myself and then i've gone back into it every now and again or like with my friend or like with my brother by myself Mm -hmm. and the way the 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 game is situated now to where if you play it alone you can definitely find some enjoyment in it like you can just hop on hop onto a schooner and just hit the high seas and just go fishing if you wanted to which is like like just like supremely my shit and yeah i just think it'd be really fun to play with uh, with you probably <laughs> I think we'd have a blast yeah no great I should and also I know that Uppercut did some shouts to Uppercut by the way yes indeed shouts should... to Uppercut shouts to follow Uppercut they're great um, but they did a community night like stream thing where they played uh, Sea of Thieves so maybe I could wrangle some folks from over there yeah too. that's awesome um, yeah they've been doing like streams like every uh, yeah I saw where they were streaming Streets of Rage 4 the other day yeah. That's I, I, I watched a little bit of it, and I was like, I should definitely play it. I think I like this game. Yeah. Um, and they've been doing... They've been do, yeah, they just do good work. Um, and they're starting to release the the EGM articles, yeah. too. So, um, so but, yeah, so it's, um, shout out to them. I guess uh, yeah. part of it's like, I should explain what that means. I'm like, no, just... Uh, it's fine. You can just go <laughs> read the Uppercut. <laughs> just go to uppercutcrit.com, and you can just read about it. There you go. But, um, yeah, Sea of Thieves. That's a game... I know if I really sat down and committed the 30 or 40 hours to like really sort of immerse myself in it, I'd probably, it'd probably become something that would just be in my repertoire of games I hop into once a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just haven't really done that. I've, I've only played it. I've, yeah. I've treated it more as a snack rather than a meal, I guess. Yeah. It's, that's how kind of, I'm, I'm just thinking about Animal Crossing because I'm, I put like 70 hours into Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. um, which is like not a ton of time. In animal relatively speak. speaking yeah but is like plenty of like a lot of time especially for me yeah, playing a game that's a lot of time and and the thing is you don't feel the weight of it as much because there's not really any finishing it yeah and it's pretty piecemeal like yeah and so i think that but i'm just like thinking about like man i could have played like three games that is all, like three JRPGs, that's definitely a feeling that it hits know? me every time i pretty much finish a big game i was i always think to myself i could have played five or six smaller probably yeah. better games <laughs> It's like the Cameron Kunzelman, like, could I read yeah, a book? The, 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 yeah, the, <laughs> the book rating. Oh. Which I think is both cursed, but also I understand completely. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I'm very much here for that scale. Which is funny because yeah. with my, like, I guess my, with my quarantine brain, the way I've approached games has been so opposite of the way I've been approaching books. I'm, I'm like halfway through like four different books right now, and I'm like deeply yeah. in love with that overwhelming feeling of I have so much, like, literature to read but if i'm in the middle of four different games i'm like well i guess i'm just not playing video games anymore yeah i i like wish i i have such a hard time like i really enjoy reading but it's often um i feel like diversity and video games have destroyed my reading brain a little bit yeah Um, university definitely took the wind out of my sails for a bit but it sort of i did uh um it sort of also brought it back so yeah no, and I think there's so much, like, that I, I'm not, like, I'm, like, you know, I'm not saying that everybody has to go to school or whatever, like, people mm-hmm. have all kinds of different experiences, but I had a good time, and I'm glad that I was at school. Yeah, likewise. Um, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, but, oh, yeah, also, I mean, I finished Wrinkle in Time. 
which we talked about on the Lost episode. Yeah, the the episode that shall never be heard. But that book's pretty neat, I think, actually. Yeah, I saw some of your um, saw, I saw some of your some of your tweets about it, and I was like, okay, this doesn't remember. Yeah. This doesn't sound how I remember it to be. Yeah, well, I think I didn't I didn't remember it being that scary. Yeah, you pretty much sold it as like either. it's a, like a genuinely like hurt like a it's pretty much a horror narrative. Yeah, I mean, I think it. You know, like, and the thing is, at the end of the novel, like, the, well, not, the evil thing isn't exactly defeated, but is, like, thwarted mm-hmm. with, like, the, the power of love, right? Like, that is, you know. There you go. Right. And so it is, like, I'm not, it is a, it is a book for kids, and it is very Christian, um, but I think it's also interested in sort of, like, the universe being vast and large and unfathomable in a way that is both like beautiful and terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And like leverages both of those things. And I think like pretty, like not like it's not, I don't know if it's that deep, but it's like pretty compelling. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, um, are you going to watch the movie? I might, I watched, I cooked dinner at my partner's house and her brother was watching it in the same room. And so I have sort of seen it. Um, that sounds like a good way to watch that movie. Yeah, I mean, I so my memory of it is like very, and I also remember getting annoyed at things that I thought were changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also hadn't read the book in a long time, and so I'm. I also was I was kind of. Um, so basically, the the main bad guy in the Wrinkle in Time, the Wrinkle in Time is like this brain, this like evil brain. <laughs> um, and it's like controlling this town or this city or this planet, um, and like making everyone the same. Um, like one of the central images in it is like they go to a street on this planet, and there's like people, there's all these little kids bouncing balls outside in the same rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, completely uniform. Um, and so, the way they visualize that in the movie is like very literal. And I think there's a point where like she enters inside inside of the brain, and there's like synapses and stuff. And it's like this big CGI purple thing. And I always kind of envisioned it as, like, a computer or, like, sort of... um, And that's just me. I think this is maybe just my imagination rubbing up against it. But I also feel like it's a very unimaginative way of, like, framing that. Um, Especially since the description of the book is, like, just really sparse and, like, scary. Because it's basically, like, it's a brain that's, like, large enough to be unsettling. And it's just, like, just, like, on a pedal. It's, like, just on a pedestal in this big room, like Mm -hmm. a church room. And there's just this brain there. And you look at the brain and you feel like something is trying to take <laughs> over your mind. Right? <laughs> and it's like, that's, like, that's very, you know, it's very small, but it's, like, enough mm-hmm. to be scary. Right? And so then turning that into, like, a big, like, big purple brain feels like a little, you know. Yeah, it sounds like brain some kind of Disney visual yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, I, and the thing is, actually, I do think that, um... Like, I guess, I, I don't know if I feel, I don't really feel qualified, but I think making the main character mixed race and having the movie be sort of about that um, slots in really well into a lot. There's a lot of stuff about, like, feeling mm-hmm. out of place and in between places and not knowing how to, like, reconcile different aspects of your identity um, that I think is, like, that I think is pretty interesting and also, like, slots that, that you can, like, sort of make it about that in a way that is, like, completely yeah works. definitely i'm also weirded out that zach galifianakis is in that movie all right what <laughs> yeah so also the thing is so he plays his character the happy medium okay. um and in the book she's like a medium 
in that she can see other worlds, mm-hmm. right? She's like a clairvoyant, and it's a woman also. Um, yeah. And then in the movie, it's like he's like a person who trains you how to find balance, and he's like the sort of like faux yoga instructor guy. Okay. Um, and I'm not really sure why this was the choice that they made. <laughs> I don't know if someone was like, we got to have more boys in this movie um, or what, but, but there's already, there's already like three perfectly good boys. You so know, you got, why would you need Zach Galifianakis? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying like, again, I've not seen this movie in, in a long time and I was half watching it. So yeah, I watched it on a plane. I think. Yeah. Could he have a little record? I think he. I think he even has like dreads or something. Like, I don't remember what his Ooh, hair is. Okay. But it's it's not good. Um, actually, he probably doesn't have dreads. I feel like, I feel like they would have avoided that particular. But he he has like a yoga y hairdo. Yeah, probably just know? matted. Like yeah, hasn't combed in a bit or something. Or I don't yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but yeah, maybe I. You know, I I'm mooching off my parents' Disney Plus subscription. What? Uh, there you go. Movie on. I have. I watched The Mandalorian, then I stopped paying for that. Um, oh, Disney yeah. Plus. I want to get it back, though. Yeah, I... Like I you know, I'm watch Clone Wars on May the 4th. Um, yeah, I, I, used another, I used another free trial just to watch the last four episodes of Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's so good. It man. really is. And even as someone who hasn't caught up with the final season, I felt pretty assured in that being that the final season was sort of broken up into arcs. I could just watch the last four. Yeah. And it still, like, just worked. Like, it it still hits so it's like that's some good star wars yeah it's like when i'm trying to think there were i mean i've also watched the finale of season one of rebels um but there were multiple points in both of that and this where we were like oh man star wars <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there was like, a the... i think i forget where i saw a headline for this piece it might have it's it was one of the big sites the big game sites that talked about how um like the animated Clone War series redeemed the prequels, and that just that like that. Oh, I think it was IGN. I think I saw you quote. And that just that made like very like pretty much deeply frustrated me because it, yeah, it's definitely it, working with like the same toolkit <laughs> and paintbrush that Lucas was absolutely working oh, no. with. <laughs> For sure, there was somebody who tweeted like there was actually a really good comic about Anakin mm-hmm. um, that was like making the rounds on Twitter a few months ago. Ooh, that sounds um, cool. Yeah, I retweeted it. I think. Um, and or quote tweeted it so you might be able to find it somewhere yeah um, and it's good and it sort of talks about like Phantom Menace in particular and how Anakin gets taken away from his family and like the, the Jedi don't save the slaves and stuff <laughs> um, you know and sort of puts that stuff in a way that I think is like because like Phantom Menace does not dwell on that it's all there like that is all text in that movie um, but it's not like it's kind of blink it's it is missable I think in a certain way um, but people were like, imagine if the prequels were about this. And I'm like, they are about this. <laughs> Just <laughs> This is what they are about. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Like, there's a whole subplot in Attack of the Clones about Anakin trying to go back and failing to save his mom. Like, what do you, what is this? Like, yeah, but, but, but everyone sees Anakin, uh, Attack of the Clones as the black sheep of the Star Wars movies. So no one watches it and they rewatches. So they miss how yeah. good it is. And I, I don't know. To, I feel like I can only talk about Star Wars with, like, not many people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel the same way to some degree. I mean, um, I'll, I'll actively talk about it, but to get, like, to get fully in my Star Wars shit, I feel like that's something. 
that. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird because I, I feel like um, like having because I watched all those movies for, you know, my other podcast recently. Yeah. I mean, not super recently, but like recently enough. And it's like I feel like people don't. I'm not trying to be like people don't really people know those movies way more by cultural reputation than they do by watching them. Oh yeah, cultural osmosis that, sort of killed like the reputation of yeah. those movies. And that's even like I must say that people have not seen these movies, but it's just like when you're surrounded by like a certain amount of discourse, like that is what becomes what the movie's about. Yeah. You know, like this is what this is what happens to Last Jedi too, which I think is it's like also, yeah, it's also what happened to the Matrix sequels in, to an extent. Yeah. And I, but I don't know. I, I don't just want to be like, if you don't like the movie that I like, it's because you're not thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, or like you're not, <laughs> you know? like, you're watching well, it wrong or something. It's, right. Which I don't think is, I think there's like plenty of perfectly good reasons to not like the prequels. Yeah, um, of course. But I, but I also feel like people don't really engage with what those movies are doing. Yeah, they're like, they're, it's like the sickest chamber plays ever made. Man, have you seen, I don't know exactly how I feel about this, but have you seen like the scenes from Revenge of the Sith with the Japanese dub? No. Um, so I think the Matt Zorzeitz, the like Robert Ebert editor, yeah, the, um, yeah, like shared it on Twitter, and it's just like, he, basically, he was like, "This is just a Kurosawa movie," <laughs> and, and you know, there was like an element of like theatricality mm-hmm. that, like, when you're a little more distant from the language that is being spoken that I think plays out a little bit easier. Um, uh, there might be an element of like, uh, like fetishization of yeah. the language there though. Yeah. That, that's sort of what just um, crossed my mind. Or like, yeah, yeah I guess like I, I can understand in the sense that like we can sort of forgive the theatricality of it and sort of see this maybe like the bluntness of a translation or just how another language is like right. morphed into English yeah. to, sort of forgive Lucas's well, you also screenwriting or something, which is dumb. Yeah, well, you'll see the way words are emphasized is yeah. different. Obviously, you can't, like, track it if you don't know the language, you know? And so um, I'm sort of unconvinced when, when people are like, oh, if I watch it, if I watch a movie with subtitles, I don't know if the acting is good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like, oh, there's lots of, there's a lot more to acting than just, like, understanding the words, yeah. right? I feel like, but... Um, but it is. It, I think it is. A, you have a different relationship to performance, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that can kind of that can bring different things out. But also, the thing is, I also like Hayden Christensen. Yeah, I think too. he's perfectly good. I think he does a swell job in those movies. Yeah. Especially in he's just having a, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, he's just having a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> he plays the angsty sort of emotionally and like almost physically torn apart human being that's just gone through it. Yeah. Very well. well, I sort of love the. I, I mean, I think also it like the best stuff with him is when he's not talking. Yeah, he, he emotes very well, especially in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, I just like those movies. Me too. I want to watch them again. Yeah. It's been a few months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I watched the prequels again before Rise of Skywalker came out. Oh wow. Yeah, I should watch. I would. I think about watching Revenge of the Sith. Often. Yeah, it's me like. Too. I think about rereading the novelization, Mark? like startlingly often. Oh yeah. I want to read it aloud to my partner. Um, I feel like because we've done. Yeah, that. I feel like reading that book aloud would add just like a certain layer to it that would just like make it all that much better. Yeah. Like I feel like that's a, that's a book that definitely um, listens well. Yeah, I think so too. Like it's already sort of interested in like storytelling in a very. Because, like, the whole first bit of it is, like, people telling stories to each other about the Clone Wars and about Anakin mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan and stuff. 
Yeah, which is just absolutely great. It's good. It's really good. It's good stuff. Yeah, that book. Yeah, if you if you're like if you're like what are these two people talking about? Prequels are good. I should I would suggest checking out the Revenge of the Sith novel. Absolutely. Because I think it it captures what makes that movie really interesting to me, and is also I think a lot more appro- approachable and sort of emotionally legible. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say like I think the movie is great. Like I'm not the sun knocking against the movie. I'm just uh, it just does a different thing. I think in a really in a supplementary way that I think is really great. Yeah, I I do uh, love how it like the Star Wars movies obviously were were sort of told in the opening crawl to treat them as semi-historical objects because they happened a long time ago in a galaxy far far away but that Revenge of the Sith novelization definitely treats every aspect of Star Wars as a historical object that is often only passed down through the spoken word yeah well if you got something that's like because that's you know when Luke is on Tatooine and it's like I don't you do you don't really know what the Clone Wars mm-hmm. are, and you don't a sort of this like vague understanding of the Jedi, kind of, but not yeah. really. And like, there's this sense of, I don't know, people find that really implausible, which I think to some degree it is, but also like if you're on Tatooine and you're just like a farmer. Yeah, if you're if you're some if you're yeah, if, you really if you're care. some dude like getting blue milk from the ground or whatever, then like yeah, or like a, or like you're just selling scrap. You're probably not too concerned or aware of like the machinations yeah. of some terrible galaxy some like terrible magical cops across the galaxy yeah well i think that's also like something that's cool about um the prequels is like that there's this sense of like oh that for for the people on tatooine like the republic in the empire basically yeah. the same it's just you know some go some vague governmental structure that only makes them makes themselves oh like available when they come to probably just stomp on that planet yeah or assert um, their just their force but um, that's some of the best stuff I like about the new trilogy, or mainly, like, The Last Jedi is my favorite of that bunch, but I think one of the few genuinely good things about The Force Awakens is how it sells the sort of historical aspect of the previous trilogy with some of, like, the opening moments with Rey. Yeah, I... The metafiction stuff in Force Awakens, I think, is, like, more compelling than it knows it is. Yes, absolutely. Because um, I feel like a lot of that is, like, nostalgia play but ends up having this kind of like like you know ray being in the wreckage of a war that is like the the vestiges of which is soon going to like overtake her life mm-hmm. right it's like just a really good image that i think the movie doesn't like foreground no absolutely you know? not and then just um, like looking at where it expands from there just d- definitely does not know what it's doing yeah in that sense at least right um yeah. I thought about watching The Rise of Skywalker again because it's on Disney Plus, but I, I don't know if I can bring myself to. Yeah, so. I, I just like I appreciate how little I think about that movie. Yeah, um, it it holds very little space in the yeah. Star Wars files of my mind. I mean, it is like it's a little bit like Avatar, where maybe people or like I feel like I talk like every time I bring it up, I'm like, wow, I never think about that movie. Oh. <laughs> James Cameron does though. James Cameron does Cameron be thinking about Avatar? He'd be thinking oh, about Avatar. He'd be spending money on Avatar. Yeah, I wonder what that movie is gonna. Be. <laughs> the sequel got delayed again. Yeah, I mean, of course it did. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously. Not, not, yeah, we're just in the middle of. We're in it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it and Evangelion four. Yeah, remember, remember, yeah. remember movies. Kind of. Now we just get. I did watch. Now we yeah. just get movies on Netflix, like drop on Netflix that have already yeah. been filmed, like the hit Hemsworth, yeah. Chris Hemsworth joint extraction. Oh yeah, that's right. Bad. 
what, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just thinking about um, I watched Emma. That was the most new movie that I've watched. Emma's good. But I watched it. I liked Emma a lot. It's good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, Emma's reading Emma to me. <laughs> My partner is reading Emma to me oh, right nice. now. Um, and it's yeah, it's good. It's a good book. It's a good movie. And I think the 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 movie understands like the rhythm of Austin's language in mm-hmm. a way that is. And like duplicates it visually in a way that I think is really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's so good? And also, it's hot. And not to be like 40 <laughs> on Main or anything, but like yeah, everyone in that movie is very hot. Yeah, definitely. And the movie is like aware of it in a way that I think is like, like it's, I don't know, it's tasteful. Yeah, and I it, guess. It, it plays well with the tensions of that period and like, yeah. Just how aroused one can be under like 19 layers of clothing that just constrict the body too. Like an unknown degree. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's the fun thing about adapting Austin on some level is that, um, like, it's all that stuff like sexual politics are in the book, right? But they're less explicit, partially because it's text, right? Because you're reading it, and partially because, you know, it has to be somewhat euphemistic by nature, right? Yeah. Um. But in a movie, you can sort of pull that stuff out and like put it on the camera, in a way that I think is cool i think that movie does it in a really good way like that dance scene is like fantastic so good yeah movies movies are good movies are just good movies are good lots of good movies yeah at the at the late hour of like 12 30 a.m last night i decided to do pop open my criterion blu-ray of um vonderchuk's soviet epic war and his uh adaptation of war and peace which is seven which is like over seven hours long and I watched like two and then just fell asleep. But it, like as I was falling asleep, I was like, "Man, movies are so good." Yeah, that is like, um, so that played at my university, uh, like international cinema program. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the film itself, or like the Janus films uh, restor- restoration of it. I think the restoration yeah. of it. If it was within like the last two years, it was probably the restoration. Yeah, they did. Uh, it was like fall, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes. And uh, and they I think what they did is they showed like an hour of it, or like a couple hours of it every week. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I think um, uh, I know when it was released in the Soviet Union, Soviet Union it was split in two chunks, and then when it was brought to the West, it was released as one film, with like over two hours scrubbed from it. So it was like still five hours, and it was oh. I think it was only shown during matinees for like a bit in some cities, and then yeah, that's wild. Yeah, if if you look if you look back at a lot of Soviet cinema that made its way to the West, the when how long some of those films are, uh, so much time would be cut out of them for the Western releases, which would sort of like yeah, to sort of dilute and like tear apart what those films are saying and doing. Right. Well, I, I sort of wonder like how much that that's I think that's interesting in thinking about like, um, I you know this is prefaced with like I do not know enough about like soviet russia to like talk about it in like a meaningful Mm -hmm. way but i think it is interesting that like um like that you could make a movie that long and that was like a normal like that was the thing a blockbuster quote-unquote blockbuster director could do right when that movie was being made it was sold as a sort of it was seen to be like what the space race was to america versus russia that movie was to what the western epic versus what a soviet epic can be so yeah, like the government film um, production just like gave Varnerchuk sort of free reign to like make something that will make like, make this country proud, pretty much. 
Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's also wild. Like, my dad was saying that, so he's big into, uh, I mean, like, he doesn't know Russian, even though he speaks a lot of, but he, in a Russian lit, I think his favorite mm-hmm. book is Brothers Karamazov. Um, and he was talking about how the film would corrode um, because it was, yeah. like, not super great grade. And yep. so they had to, like, refilm some of those. Yeah, things. they had to refilm some of the battle scenes. And it, it made history for being the first film to use a um, uh, a remote, ca- like, a remote-controlled camera for uh, some of the overhead shots of those battle scenes. Oh, wow. That's Movie's wild. good. Soviet, Soviet cinema, unilaterally, is pretty good. Like, great. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I think, I don't think arguably. I have any experience with Soviet cinema. Like, I've, I've never seen a Tarkovsky Oh, wow. Yeah, it's probably... My favorite so. cinema movement in history. I mean, I spent years studying it. Yeah. Right. Or undergrad. Yeah, no, I should. I should. I should watch more movies. Yeah. Movies um, are good. Movies are good. But I think uh, games are also good. So what are you gonna do? Games. Many games can be good. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I I I feel like I often I'm like, especially after because I watched the Inside Xbox thing. <laughs> <this movie. laughs> I was just thinking about that this morning. How just. It was just nothing. It was, it was like uh, an hour long display of absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was like at work and just had the giant bomb stream yeah. on, you know, and so it was like, like it's not like I was like, oh, I can't believe I wasted my time doing. Yeah, that, now know? I didn't feel the same way there. I was like, oh, I should have been aware that this is probably going to be what this is. Yeah, it's just like so. Like I don't know. I've seen so many of those events. Yeah over the and years like, and it's just really like wow this is just never all, changed all the like, trailers the exact this. same like structurally yeah and i don't know i'm not i'm like genuinely not super looking forward to the next generation like i know how I'll, I'll be able to keep my xbox one for a few years and probably just be a-okay yeah which i think is neat. yeah I but i do that. i don't know it's just hard to like get invested in like oh this looks so similar to the last generation mm-hmm. And, like, it's even more environmentally costly. Yeah, and I just... Right. Just the whole... The core, like, thrust of what games are has, has never been, like, has never been thematic. It's always, um, like, how can this be made to look better when I wish for the next generation of games, maybe they, they look like the games I'm playing now, but they can do other things. And I'm not talking about, like, ray tracing yeah. and stuff, but I just wish there would be... I wish the ushering in of new hardware could, in a sense, maybe inspire new movements and how a like and like narrative yeah. design or something. But that's not how that really works. Right. Well, I mean, I've been thinking this is just my brand at this point. I think a lot about pre-rendered backgrounds or like set backgrounds, mm-hmm. right, or like fixed camera angles as like a thing that we just don't do anymore. That is like kind of obsolete, but that I think is not. You know, I think is not that, and actually has like a lot of interesting things to do and yeah. say. Yeah, and like when. And, like, when you compare the medium of film, in a sense, to games and, like, look at their histories and, like, the sort of... If you view if you view their histories as linear, you see where the history of film would take various movements and repurpose stylings from those movements, movements into what came after it, whereas games, we use sort of tend to leave things in the rear view and just pursue what yeah. is shiny. Like, I would... Right. Well, I mean, there's interesting... Like I, would kill, I would kill for thing a game there because, with, just set, oh, with, with just set backgrounds and fixed camera angles that looks like the games we play today. Yeah. I mean, I think that... And also, the thing is, I feel like you could you could make a game quicker that way, too. Yeah, you maybe. Know? I mean... Like, I'm not totally sure. Like, I don't, I don't know enough about game dev, but it's like, maybe... 
you have to render less, right? And so I was gonna say with yeah. the with the fixed camera angles and like what what we can do with games today, I think you that would afford you new ways to say things in games. And like people are all, people are always clamoring for games to be more cinematic, and to be cinematic is not to see two buildings falling into each other and being able to be a player inside those buildings as they crumble. It's to be cinematic is to like think about what the apparatus of cinema can mean to games and like what a camera and a camera placement and depth and the frame can mean in games. And I think if you, have, if you have fixed backgrounds and fixed camera angles, that gives you, that affords you the ability to like actually say things in games cinematically. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is also, I think games really underestimate the power of editing. Yes, um, absolutely. And I mean that in kind of a literal way that's like games are too long. <laughs> but also but also in a more metaphorical way that's like you cut from a shot one shot to another shot right the annoying thing about that is one of the few recent games i can think that actually has deliberate editing and like takes the art of editing seriously is the newer wolfenstein games but those aren't doing necessarily interesting things with editing it's just the fact that they're actually trying to use editing yeah. as a toolkit and like i mean the i games think the, i I'm really curious about new play New Order again, um, because I I also like didn't I never thought that game was like a masterpiece, but I thought it was like a very good what it was. Yeah, like, I really like Locky. I really like that game. Shooter. Yeah, um, but that also had things to say and was I think interested in, like I, there's sort of a it does a balancing act, or like does like I I think that game like humanizes Nazis in a way that is like good and interesting, um, by which I mean it's like. These are people, but they also should die. Yeah, you know, like it's not. They're not just like they're not just like automatons. Yeah, there's like no moral ambiguity about it. Right? Yeah, they're not. There's not a lot of like fraughtness about that. Yeah, it's definitely they um, they bleed and fall apart just like our bodies do, but they should be bleeding yeah. and falling apart. Yeah, and I and I think also like it's also like violence takes a toll on people, mm-hmm. and like even if it is justified, right? That there's like you still have to want something else beyond it. Yeah, um, the new Colossus kind of forgets about that. Yeah. Um, Nicholas's bothers me for a whole lot of reasons. I know. But like, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. So I'm I'm curious about maybe revisiting that game and seeing if it hits different for me yeah. now. Um, and it's also cool. Like, I think it's fitting that like all the other Wolfenstein games are technically in canon. With yeah, it's really cool. And I I thought the yeah. the DLC expansions for or expansion for New Order was really good. The Old Blood, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. The first part of it more yeah, so than the that. zombie part. Because the, the first part is just, like, you're in, like, this sort of, like, sleepy German town that sort of just then gives way to you wandering through. Uh, I don't know I don't know if it's Castle Wolfenstein, but a big castle in, like, the, in, like, the yeah. German Alps. I like guns. And there's a bit, there's, like, a where eagles there sort of um, gunfight sequence right, on. Yeah. Uh, um, whatever they're called. Wait, I don't know if you know the answer to this question. Um... You've seen? Have you seen Hail Caesar? Yes. There's a movie that they talk about. It's not a real movie. That's called um, On Wings of Eagles. <laughs> um, and it's like a recurring gag. Is that is um, is where Eagles Dare like that movie? The equivalent. Of that I mean, movie? probably. I assume so. Yeah. Eagles Dare is like a two and a half hour, like American war epic about espionage and Nazi killing and grand shootouts and yeah. Clint Eastwood's face. And the ineptitude of the British dandies and how the American soldier has to like <laughs> save the day by the once, yeah. once all well, things are said and done. I mean, Gotta... that movie has its moments, but I probably wouldn't say it's something worth visiting. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, I would I wouldn't know. I yeah, it's, de- it's definitely it's definitely it was I, definitely the movie that I would sit down and watch the second half of it with my grandpa when I was like nine. Oh yeah, it's a. Uh, I get that. It's definitely some TCM patriotism cinema. Yeah, Turner <laughs> Classic <laughs> patriotism that uh, that time honored tradition. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, because I just think in the in Hail Caesar, it's like there was like a, you know. Actually, there was some sort of scandal about actors being gay on the set of. Um, uh, I'm getting the titles on the wings of eagles. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know a lot of the so, um, production history yeah, of where eagles there, so I can't say. So, but I think that's uh, anything about that. But um, Hail Caesar's good. Yeah, that movie's real good. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of people see it as one of the lesser Coen Brothers movies, which is not how I see it. I so this is admittedly like a I am not like super Coen Brothers experience. Mm-hmm. Um, seen True Grit and I've seen Big Lebowski. Um, I think that's I feel like I've seen one more, but that might be it. Um, but I think that movie is really great. Yeah, like it's uh, I think it's an old timer. It's one of my. It's, I think it's in my top three. Um, Coen Brothers. Yeah, it's one of the most thoughtful movies about faith like ever made. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think about the like final monologue with George Clooney on the set, mm-hmm. like every day of my waking life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I think I think for me with the Coen Brothers it goes No Country for Old Men, Miller's Crossing, then probably Hell's Easy, and then uh, what's it called? Um, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I really enjoyed. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, which I haven't seen either. That's um, good. It's a good Western in yeah, the sense that it really plays up. Like, I saw I saw a tweet on film Twitter going around about how the Coen brothers understand idiots like no one else does. And I think the Ballad of Buster Scruggs really cements that in that it shows, the, like, this sort of everyday stupidity of, the, of like, the quote-unquote Old West for, like, sort of for what it was. yeah. Like there's reoccurring bits of like whole towns gathering to like a walk, to like watch this like watch this chicken that can guess people's weight and stuff like that. Right, that sounds fun. Yeah, um, it's also, a good like, movie. Anna has some any Anna has some good Marty Robbins covers. Nice. I also yeah Tom Waits is in it and I will I will see a movie mm-hmm. with Tom Waits in it. He's very good. At it. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I love I love that man. Uh, he has a beautiful voice, and I will follow it. <laughs> people might think i'm saying that sarcastically but i mean it like it's, i think tom waits is a very beautiful singer in a certain yeah i agree in a certain sense um he's definitely in the sort of bob dylan realm of beautiful voices yeah where it's like they really know how to they really know how to make like gargling rocks sound very like, yeah well i think even beautiful. with with tom i mean i guess you know i have not really listened to a lot of bob dylan um but with uh with Tom Waits, I feel like I feel so much of it's like he could sing different. He just does not want to. Yeah, like, I, you I, know. his first, or I think it was his first record. The whatever record has "Old 55" on it. Okay. I think that's his first record. It's like he's definitely yeah. singing like, singing like a normal, maybe sort of more normalized lounge singer would. But then I think yeah, he sort of found his own. His you voice. Heard, um, well, let me. 
keep talking. I'm gonna find I'm gonna find the Tom Waits song I'm thinking about. Um, okay, but yeah, just seeing his, his progression through some of his early records is really interesting, and how he sort of went from still having that sort of gravelly voice to really just going full like to the yeah. Tom Waits who sings big in Japan. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think it's always like it always feels very. You know, it feels very deliberate, right? Yeah, it feels it's like a... it's like how um I also like like Nick Cave has a very gorgeous voice, but he ch- he like deliberately chooses to use like the more gorgeous notes of his like vocal like, vocal capabilities, like he sort of holds them close to his chest from, until like, a song really yeah. just sort of demands. Yeah, have you heard a it... Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis? Yeah, that song's so good. It is. <laughs> I mean, you should if you're listening to this podcast and don't know that song, you should look it up. It it owns. Um, but I love how that song is like very like piano wise. It's like very straightforward, like ballad. Yeah. You know, just like this, like. Um, but that it's given this like edge through his voice and through some of the subject matter and mm-hmm. like. Um, it's also like yeah, it's also nice to listen to something that's like very. Super mega chill about sex work. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you know? super normalized in that song. Yeah. Um, and oh wait, holy shit! No, my fa- my favorite Coen Brothers movie is definitely Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I have not seen either. So. That is, I think that's one of the best films ever made about how, like, males tend to internalize and externalize grief. Yeah. And I don't, that, that just, I think that's, like, a legitimately, like, beautiful, beautiful piece of, like, cinema. Yeah. I, uh, th- I mean, that's what I've heard. People, people love that movie. Um, so I should get around to it. I'm trying to think if there's anything I've been watching. I've been trying to watch Takahata movies lately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, I still haven't gotten around to Pompoko. Um, I, that's only. I think that's only. That's one of the few I've seen. Yeah, I've seen it too, but it's been like a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked it at the time. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know. I always find the like environmentalism of Ghibli movies to be compelling, and mostly I've seen the Miyazaki side of that, mm-hmm. so I'm curious about um this difference you know um i really loved only yesterday i think that yeah that movie is like overwhelmingly moving yeah it's and it's so small in a way that is like um i mean i not that it's like unique to it or anything like that but it's just so willing to be um completely like interested in like the way the experience of our life ripple in these like very small almost like unaffectable uh, unseeable ways right mm-hmm. and so like none of the story beats of like the past that feels like directly connected to anything that's happening in the like a plot right yeah um, but you also know that it all is you know wound up together yeah it's so good um i was talking to a friend about it not recently but i was like saying just saying how it feels like if you if you, if you just sprinkled a little like magical realism into like an ozu film yeah like it's, it's so the movie is all about like how its characters are internalized and like what they're going through internally and it uses like every piece of the filmmaking apparatus to say that without having to like deliberately say it yeah and there's like the like the only real moment that it really like tips its hand is when she decides to go back to the countryside at the end of the movie yep. and like all the children are following her and on the bus and stuff um yeah. And it feels like that, and not that you can't do stuff like that more, but it feels so powerful because it just doesn't tip its hand like mm-hmm. that. Like it does it like very sparingly. Yeah, but yeah, the movie's um, so good. I mean, yeah, I guess if we're on the movie 
track do we oh yeah should we hit an iceberg let's hit an iceberg <laughs> <laughs> the discourse arc <laughs> so um, on, on like on thursday um or i guess early this week i keep saying dates and times but i think that kind of i don't know i don't know if i want to like i guess we're under quarantine so everything if you someone listens <laughs> to this in the future, it'll be, it'll, it'll be yeah. everything will be dated so i can i guess i can speak <laughs> to specific moments but yeah I was, on Thursday night, I just sort of fell out in the rabbit hole of just reading about the Titanic and like, just reading about it and just how like sort of, the inept handling of certain aspects of it, obviously, and how like, it was one of the most blatant displays of like, class hierarchy. Yeah. And just how, people were situated on board the ship. It's like, just very blunt and like, the richest people are on the top and the people who mean nothing are on the bottom. Yeah. Like there was no bones about it. Like it, you, like when you bought a ticket, you know, you knew exactly where you were gonna be. But there was so much spectacle around that, and yeah. the, you just wanted to be on that ship. And so I was like, should I watch Titanic? <laughs> and then on Friday, I, I was talking to my girlfriend on Friday while we were, while we were working. And I was like, should we watch Titanic tonight? And she's like, I haven't seen it since like middle school, but I mean, yeah, we can totally watch it. And I was like, okay, let's watch Titanic. And then like around once we like clocked out of work around like five ish. She went and picked up some sushi, and I went and bought, like, some wine and just groceries at Trader Joe's, and then we just, like, killed a whole bottle of wine and watched Titanic, and that movie owns so hard. <laughs> it is... There, there you go. ...a spellbinding blockbuster that I was... I expect... It's so cheesy and so bubblegummy, but it just... It, for It is doing so... Like, what it's... It has to be for what it's doing. Yeah. You have to get... You have to get so lost in the romance and sort of like bourgeoisie spectacle of it all because what's so smart about the movie it's it's over th- three hours long and for the first two like two two hours and some change it's just this like love story this like young like pretty much like a YA love story yeah on this, on this big ass boat and what's so smart is it, it just treats it's it treats the core film and its characters and what it's doing as this sort of bubblegum pop romance and then and then you hear someone in one of the eagle's nests say um what's it called iceberg ahead and then like the whole movie just changes and you are instantly drawn back in to history right because the way it's like the way it's just laid out cameron it's so smart because you forget it you forget about the history of the situation that you're watching for a bit yeah well like i mean it's interesting that it's it's so long and maybe that's partially because it wants to like lure you in yeah and you know yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. And like, there are so many small moments that just ground you in that, at like, in like on the Titanic as a place and with these people as like, yes, they're heightened. Like, there's like the evil man and there's like the yeah. damsel and then there's like the young rose. There's Leonardo DiCaprio. And, but it's so oh, uh, good. <laughs> you know, Billy Zane. So this is, we will we, we'll get back to the Titanic. You know, Billy Zane is in Kingdom Hearts. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he owns in so, Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> he plays that bad guy. So it's like so funny how on the nose of a bad guy is. Like, there's a scene yeah. when the ship's sinking where he run he runs past a little kid and like leaves the kid there, and then he comes back to the crying kid later. And he's like, "Oh, if I take this kid and then pretend it's mine, I'll get on one of the lifeboats." That's right. Which is a great moment. Like, it's a good yeah. character moment. But and then like there's a part. So evil. <laughs> it gets. <laughs> he eventually like pulls like a handgun on Leonardo DiCaprio and like Kate yeah. Winslet and shoots at them and like. It's dumb as shit, but it owns. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> yeah, I so my experience with Titanic, I have like two vivid memories associated mm-hmm. with Titanic. One of them is I watched half of it for like the last third at uh, at a friend's house. Um, and I was kind of sitting there bemused because I was an edgy teen. Yeah. And the lady there was, was crying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, one of my classmates. Um, <laughs> and I remember my feeling at the time was like, I really liked all the stuff that was not Caprio and Winslet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like th- this again. This is, I was like 16 years old. So like, I have no trust. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, the other memory, the other memory I have. Oh wait, actually finish your thought and I'll, I'll come back. I'll say, I mean, in some, in some ways they're like the, their, their core romance is, it's interesting in moments, and there's some great little character moments between them, but it is so on the nose that it, it grows tiresome. Yeah. And there's some, and like as the movie sort of pulls its scope out a bit and like sort of hones in on some other tertiary characters, there's some like really, really yeah. great moments. Like there, like one of one of my favorite moments is when shit's starting to hit the fan. The the guy who designed the ship is talking to someone who's trying to like market the ship, and he's like, he's like, what do you mean we hit an iceberg? Blah 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 blah. The ship's unsinkable. And then the guy who designed the ship. I forget his name, and he's is like, it's it's like the ship's made of iron. Like I I assure you, it, it will. And it's like that's some good shit. Yeah, or like the I think about the shot where like the captain is like at the wheel of the ship, and the water just like hits and drowns him. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I think about that shot, like not not like all the time, but like it is it is like a very vivid memory I have. Or when. And, like, obviously there's an element of just, like, pure spectacle in it. Like, when uh, Leo and Kate... I don't even know their actual names. In the movie. Jack and... Jack. Jack and Rose. Yeah, Jack That's and right. Rose. Jack and Rose um, are, like, on the very edge of the ship as it's falling. Oh, yeah. Seeing the whole thing, like, sink into and the And you water. see the one guy fall, and he, like, um, hits the propeller and spins the... That's yeah. one of the smallest moments of, like, special effects. That, that moment where that body falls and hits the propeller and spins and makes that sound. That moment is talked about in relation to that film, like, whenever I bring up Titanic to, like, anyone, they're like, oh, what about the scene where the guy hits the propeller and spins? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think even that, even when, like, I mean, we could spoil Titanic. People know what yeah. happens Titanic. <laughs> but, like, uh, when Jack's, like, frozen hand is taken off the door. Yeah. Right? You just hear that yeah. crunch. is like, ugh. Yeah. It's, um, and, like, you just get so wrapped up in it. Like, it just works. Yeah. I think I just... So I'm curious how it would work for me because I've so the only I've seen the other two James Cameron movies I've seen are Aliens mm-hmm. and Avatar. Oh, okay. Um, which are both movies like Avatar is obviously like super racist. Yeah, I, Avatar is um, a terrible, terrible piece of terrible movie. Yeah, um, I but like I, I like Aliens. Like, though. Yeah, well, the Aliens is the movie where I can like, oh, I kind of I get like I get I could see the craft of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, I I think it's too long. But, like, other than that, like, it's, like, very well-paced and, like, has all these, like, very effective sort of character beats and callbacks, right? Like, it's it's just very well-constructed, but I just can't really, like, get into it, especially since I think it gets away from a lot of the stuff that makes Alien interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Prometheus for that. Yeah, part. I think, I mean, I think Prometheus <laughs> and Covenant are, like, my favorite pieces of Alien yeah, I, cinema. I gotta watch Covenant. Sometimes. Covenant is, especially and, as someone who is grown up and is like interested in like how like religion can be portrayed in other mediums it does yeah. it does some stuff yeah well i mean it's called covenant yep <laughs> so you got me 
You got me. I, I think actually Prometheus is really interesting with that stuff too, especially in relationship to like this these scientists who have like faith mm-hmm. in this thing that they want to find, right? It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting threat that the movie I think does a good job doing stuff with. Um, oh, I I wanted to tell the story about Titanic. So uh, I grew up in like a re- religious uh, town, mm-hmm. and um, part of that was like a part of the high school education for people my age was like going to like a not like um we called it seminary but it wasn't like you became a priest or anything it was just like it was like sunday school on a weekday basically yeah like sort of like the devotionals and like catholic school like your daily like bible study kind yeah. of mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay. and so uh, one of my seminary teachers talked about titanic in class once <laughs> and it was just like this like moral you know like he you know when rose dies like after living this like beautiful family life you know yeah. she goes to heaven with that guy she slept with back in like you know 32 yeah oh my god the way that movie ends is why i forgot how it ends it, <laughs> it's like so the, she's on this boat and she gets the she sort of gets the denouement of having seen the titanic again of, of getting to throw her pearl in the water and to let it sink yeah. and then she lays down and then it cuts to a pov shot of the titanic and it panning up this grand stairwell and then jack's hands and i was like wait it's definitely implying she just did all this then laid down on this boat and just died <laughs> i was like me and my girlfriend were like what is happening <laughs> yeah so i think it's like so our i mean my particular christian group was is very like interested in nuclear family unit and like i mean like that is like a pretty common thing in like american christianity yeah. but like i think even more so uh for i almost said us which i don't really know if it's the right way to phrase it but anyway <laughs> and so i think that was like a personal affront to him the idea that in the afterlife you would be with the person you married, you know, and lived with for 50 years. It's the, the guy you would have fling with as a teenager. Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, that is my, that is my most prominent Titanic memory is like some moralizing from my. Sunday yeah. Teacher. I don't have any grand stories in relation to my experience with Titanic, like throughout my life. I just know I watched it a bunch as a kid because yeah. my mom really liked it. And like, we had like the double VHS for it or whatever. Yeah, and I just remember watching it, and it's like I remember always liking it, and then like being really, really like scared to watch the last hour of it because I don't know. I was just really scared. I I mean, there's some like very there's some like genuinely startling imagery during like the sort of the sinking of the ship, and I think what that movie handles really well is how how violent of a process that ship sinking was, but how slow, how like how like slow that violence was up until. It, they like they tipped over and broke into pieces. Right. Yeah. Well, they actually built like a huge ship, right? Like that was. I a, I want to say I want to say so, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Thing. Like I was re- I was reading about the production of the film a bit, just just trying to just like see how Cameron and like did it all, and then to like hear about all like the budget stuff and like how pretty much like the fate of a studio is resting on like this movie doing well. Like I think yeah. I forget well, what to production companies funded it but i know it started off as maybe a 25th century fox feature and they brought some they brought in another production company to split the mouse to i'm not sure but they built i know that there was like there's a there's a shocking amount of miniature of like miniature work in it which is really cool but like the effects still really hold up like it's it when that when the titanic is first shown when it's leaving harbor and it's just a wide shot of just like the ship's um it's like the front of the ship cutting like cutting against the water and then like in like the foreground there's some smaller boats that are going into port it's like still like very like it like takes yeah. your breath away 
that's and really cool. Uh, I mean, nobody nobody can say that. Yeah, and like it still it holds up really well. And like, <laughs> and like the moment that sort of terrified me and like sort of filled me with dread the most was, was not when the ship broke and like all these bodies were falling and like people were getting electrocuted in the water and stuff like that. It was there's a there's a like extreme wide like wide shot like bird's eye view shot of the boat as it's sinking and like as like the lights on the ship go dark and it's just this vast expanse like the van like the vast expanse of the atlantic ocean and then there's just this one like ship and then it just goes dark yeah it's like some pretty scary stuff i think that sort of that avenue you talked about with history sort of converging on the characters is also weird and interesting because obviously like the rose and jack story is not real although i think yeah. jack is named after a crew member yeah like after the fact they figured that out they found that out sort of sort of like just sort of oh really it wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't deliberate oh that's wild because i know that people like left like would leave flowers at his grave and stuff yeah um after watching the movie and that's wild yeah so maybe his ghost is like what the fuck is happening yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like why are people visiting me now but um just sort of in reading about the production of the movie there's a lot of interesting stuff but the funniest thing that stood out was this story about jackson and or not jackson i almost thought peter i almost said peter jackson's name um james cameron and it was a story i think with i think bill paxton had had related where like Supposedly there was some disgruntled crew member or just like some ne'er do well snuck, like dosed a bunch of like the food on set with PCP. Oh my so gosh! Like, so like the whole crew like rolled for like a bit, oh. and like the, like Bill Paxton talked about like not feeling well and like he's like waiting for like a dip in the sea and stuff. Oh wow! Wild. <laughs> and like there, it was like one of the few, like the few it was like they got lucky because like the super old lady who plays old Rose had like chosen to eat, like Offset. So like. Oh my god! <laughs> Just like some weird <sighs> stuff around that. That is wild. And they they always they always sort they sort of they never really found who did it, but they always kind of thought it was like maybe like a disgruntled caterer who like whose bidding contract was like ended or like got eked out by someone else. Wow! But that is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all it's all it's like one of like the things on the IMDb trivia. It's like I was just like scrolling yeah. through and like at like two a.m. after I watched it. That's. Yeah, that's interesting, man. But yeah, so, no. Now that you said I do for real, I think about IMDb goofs, all how mad they make me. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's so bad. There is, um, there's very bad. There's one for Moonlight, um, where you see Moonlight, right? Yeah. Um, so for those who have not seen Moonlight, I'm not gonna like spoil anything, but there's um, it like takes place over three periods of this dude's life. And at one point, he's gonna. There's like a friend who's like a constant companion throughout the thing, and it becomes sort of a romance um, potentially. And he's going to go again when he's like a lot older, and he's a dream about him. And in the dream, it's the older him, mm-hmm. right? That's a goof on the IMDb page for Moonlight. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what do you know what he looked like? <laughs> yeah, it's just like so. it's some like cinema sins ass like nitpicking. Yeah, no, it's the worst. My it's favorite the, is um the. Uh, like I, I like to read the profanity guides for um <laughs> movies yeah. before I watch them just because personally and just like I just don't like seeing a lot of movies that have like have like very like blunt displays of sexual violence. So I just like check beforehand if I think a movie might have it. Yeah. But um you always find some good like cuz it's all community based those profanity guides. You'll find like it'll be like this amount of uses of fuck, this amount of uses of shit, then under that it'd be a sense of like they take they take the Lord's name in vain five times. I stopped watching it after the third time. 
it's like it like which is weirdly like veered to the first person of like how this like part offended someone or like yeah or like how like this one nude actor actress was very hot or something which is like gross but yeah that's like my i think emma was like looking through the like parents guide on some movie and it was like nudity like one woman wears shorts yeah it's like you'll (laughs) find stuff like that (laughs) it's like really showing your hand (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah it's dumb uh, oh that so this reminds me of a horrible story i'm not this not that bad so my my um brother-in-law was in a movie theater once mm-hmm. um i was watching a movie and like in the back of a shot there was a topless woman and like someone in the theater just shouted oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> there you go and so he'll just say that sometimes if he's like excited about something or whatever. yeah but i um, i guess just back on the on the titanic wave yeah after i wa- after i watched the movie i was like i'm still i'm still very captivated by this weird piece of history so i'm gonna keep reading about it and like just sort of the one of the most just like frustrating and like obvious facts i found about i found out like i read about was how personally i don't think any i don't think any of that should be excavated from the ocean i think it should be left exactly where it is yeah like i don't know that that stance ex- extends to like almost all the historical artifacts they should be where they belong not where they should be shown but the biggest the biggest artifact pulled up from the depths where the titanic is is now on display at a casino in las vegas oh that's right yeah i saw the uh, story about this i think yeah it's just like so deeply frustrating well that's also like there's the sense of like i mean that maybe like this movie like not intentionally like contributes to is like this sort of romanticization of this like actual tragedy oh it, it like absolutely design, does you know yeah i mean it, it's still i mean the last hour is like genuinely horrific like I, I think it definitely i don't know i can't say if it does respect yeah. like pays respect to it or not like i wasn't there but right i don't know i just but it's was like shockingly captivated really callous by, by yeah. the movie when i think i think that's something that's really compelling to me is like um, like I really like both Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises, mm-hmm. which are both movies about characters who are confronted with this like inevitable monstrous turn of history yeah. that is like swiftly approaching them. Um, and there's sort of that's the thing is like in those movies there's not the back half right you do not get the the last hour where everything goes wrong mm-hmm. you know it's just that um, it's just that first part yeah um, I think that stuff is really interesting and also that's something like that's something the new Clone Wars series does too, where you like you know Order sixty six is coming, you know <laughs> you know it's gonna happen, and, and you're just waiting for it. And when it does, um, I mean, it's so sad. It's so sad. Like we're talking about Rex in the hangar, yeah, God. or whatever. It's rough. It's so good, and I think like, like when he's like they don't care, that's like a heart wrenching moment, mm-hmm. um, and they're all still wearing the armor with Ahsoka's face paint on it. So yeah. Yeah. And do you know about the Rebels stuff? Um, yeah. I mean, I know that he, I know that he's around in it. Okay. Uh, I won't say anything else. Okay. Yeah. That's some of, that was some of the better stuff in Rebels. But yeah, I, I found the screenshot of this IMDb um, profanity thing I found. It was oh, okay. two, two F words, 10 minutes into movie, along with multiple other profanities. I stopped watching after 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's always my favorite oh. stuff you'll stumble upon on IMDb. Yeah. It's like the like that letterboxd reviews twitter account yeah <laughs> exactly like the yeah. bad amazon movie reviews twitter account yeah uh-huh. um 
Man, I feel like... I think it's like a badge of honor if you get like quoted by the bad movie takes account. That's like that's you know the take was good. Yeah, just the ones will run by the, the horrible person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, Twitter's wild. Twitter's bad. It's also goodish. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm like actually having an alt has been like a really good thing for me mm-hmm. personally. I feel I like, it's I feel not like really for everybody. One. Yeah, but it's like having like a venue where I can just sort of like talk about whatever with people who I know are going to be cool about it. Yeah, like exactly. Really nice. Um, and like not that not that that like fixes the problem entirely. Yeah. You know, um, like I don't. I think I think part of it is like Twitter takes a sort of cultivation that like people some some folks just do not have the time and energy for, which is fine, right? I don't yeah. think there's like obligation to be on it but i think you can yeah like it, it's, some, it's, it's something you have to be pretty deliberate about of like you have to actively find what you what and who you want to engage with and like suss that out yeah man i was this is a call out post i'm gonna call some <laughs> some mutuals out a lot of you were following like i don't i think you know if you you like if you know you are not this if you, a lot of people who are mutuals who are like know from my hometown or whatever follow jk rowling on twitter which you just oh, don't need to do X. yourself. <laughs> you just don't need to do it. Why are you doing that? <laughs> I'm not even. Say, I'm not like being like you're a bad person or anything, but just like you don't need to suffer. <laughs> you could be free of suffering. Yeah, it's like the uh, the Colin Moriarty conundrum of it, how like everyone in game dev or like or games press who still follows him. Yeah, or like Nick Robinson for a while was like that too. Oh Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are those are rabbit holes. I don't feel like going down. Yeah, no, let's, uh, <laughs> you can just move on. If you're if you're like, what's that? You can look it up. Yeah, that's something you can go about on your own time if you choose to do so. I would say yeah, don't, although, but you can if you want. To. Yeah, but um, although apparently I was <laughs> shocked to learn that like the McElroy's wiki apparently has like better information about what exactly went down with Nick Robinson than like anything Polygon has ever officially put out. I mean, that's not surprising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Uh, is there anything else you want to tackle? Um, let me check the. Uh, I guess we could do we could do a quick Kingdom Hearts update. Yeah, hit me. Um, what's what's going on with the Z and Norts or what? Whatever. Yeah, there's no. Well, yeah, there's a Z, there's uh, Zemnus is the Z and that is around. He's Z Norts nobody. <laughs> um, I guess I should. <laughs> I'll put I'll put. A, I don't know. Um. I guess that doesn't mean anything if you don't know what these games are. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm playing three five eight over two days right now, um, which is like the prequel to two, um, and it's cool. It's good. It's like a day routine, daily routine game. Is it like every day? You just, was it one of the handheld ones? Yeah, it's the DS one. Okay. Um, what What does it look like? What What does it look like when you're playing? Is it two D? Is it? It's three D. It's like I'm trying to picture it. It's basically like a derezzed version of the of like Kingdom Hearts two. Okay. Like what was the similar. what was it was the PS, PS PSP one that was, uh, Birth by Sleep. Birth by Sleep. Okay. I played yeah, that one like the, having never played a Kingdom Hearts game, and like my ten year old mind was like, I have no idea what's going. On. I, I feel yeah, like I'm dying. I, I think it's wild that like that's the it's not the first game they because they covered them in like in fiction chronological order on lore reasons the waypoint recap podcast yeah i listened to um, it even though i didn't know what was going on yeah i mean neither did i although i think i but like birth by sleep was the one i understood the least i think because it's like 
I feel like you need the context of those other games to like know what is happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's like a workplace game kind of in that like you kind of go in and then you get a mission and you go like to another place and do the mission and come back. And so there's sort of like a routine and every day you're getting ice cream with your friends. I mean, I thought it was a good time. Yeah, it's it's cool. And the thing is, you you know you know things are gonna go bad because you played Kingdom Hearts two. Yeah, you know you know that this again we're kind of coming back to this theme of history, um, but you know that you know that like this friendship is not going to last or not going to be exist the way it does at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like get caught up in sort of the daily routine of it. Yeah. in a way that I think is cool. All right, do you think you're gonna commit to some of the Kingdom Hearts mobile games in this sort of playthrough of the series? Uh, that's a good question. I've like thought about downloading, uh, whatever Union Cross. Yeah, Union Cross called. is the one. Yeah, I like don't have a mobile game that I play on my phone, um, like at the moment. Mm-hmm. So maybe I will. Like I, I'm not like necessarily committing to it, but I am like curious about those games. Yeah. Um, and apparently there's like like people were posting about some of the lore stuff, and I was like, I don't know who these people are, but I feel like I recognize this boss. Yeah. Is this boss supposed to be like this person from Supposedly Union Cross Supposedly Union Cross has some like like really important lore implications for like the whole series and three specifically. Yeah, well that's like the and that's kind of the vibe with these games. Is that like Chain of Memories is like not a great game and the plot of it is like pretty thin, mm-hmm. but it's like you have to know what happens in order to play two. And that's like the Game Boy game. Yeah. Um yeah, I remember. I'm, I remember I had a friend who was like really, really into Chain of Memories. I remember them playing it all the time at like sleepovers. Yeah, I think you could like get into it, um, especially if you were a kid. But I did not have a great time with it. Yeah, it's just part of me was like, it's close enough to replicating Kingdom Hearts combat anyway, like in the animations and stuff. I was just like, well, you could just do that. You don't have to make it like a card game. Yeah, the cards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's also. Oh, go ahead. I was sorry. gonna say my just my relationship with Kingdom Hearts is I played like. I think I played three-fourths of the first one. Yeah. And that's, that's it. The, that's maybe my least favorite one so far. Mm-hmm. Um, although, the thing is, I, I wasn't really crazy about two either. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I liked a lot about it. And actually, the first four hours of that game are so good. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of unbelievably good. And there's, like, stuff in it that I'm glad that I, like, experienced. Yeah. Um, <laughs> M underscore being on Twitter said that Kingdom Hearts is just Ready Player One for gay people, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is true. Because <laughs> there's there's a part in Kingdom Hearts two where you like fight alongside like all the Final Fantasy characters, and I was like, yo, this is great, <laughs> and I was like, this is just Ready Player One. Yeah, and I'm like, I know, but yo, I'm fighting with Cloud. <laughs> I mean, there you and go. Tifa's here. Yeah, so I remember Cloud shows up, but he shows up in the Coliseum in one, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I, mean. I remember him from that. Yeah. And then he's in um uh, Hollow Bastion mm-hmm. in two. Which is like the end game world in one. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud stuff in that game is not great because he's just like very straightforwardly like edgy warrior boy, which is not who Cloud is. Um, <laughs> really. But have you What do you think about this wait oh, okay. go ahead, sorry. You can go. I was thinking what do you think about Cloud's sword that has bandages on it? Oh. Kingdom Hearts 1. It's, I feel like it was like just a, just a cosmetic choice to make him look cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a thing. I just think it's funny. Um, yeah, it just it reminds me of like when you watch a lot of 90s stuff or like 
read about like the rave scene in the 90s how like people would just wear band-aids as like cosmetic like as part of their outfit that so every time i see cloud yeah. in kingdom hearts one i picture him as like rave cloud oh yeah no for sure that's like 100 percent the vibe um but it's also i did, i was like realizing that donald's donald duck's hat has zippers on it um like it's straight up like like it's just like a little like beret <laughs> but like the back of it has like a is like a big zipper and then there's like the you know i mean Nomura and his zippers yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's just the thing is i i like genuinely admire like kingdom hearts ability to like thoroughly be on its bullshit yeah it's, at all times it definitely is what it is yeah i'm curious about i wish the disney stuff worked for me like ever i did actually like there's a steamboat mickey world in two that's that was cool. good yeah i like the um the tarzan world in one. Oh, you did that world is terrible <laughs> <laughs> or at least like the level design is like so wild i mean i just remember uh, liking it because it was foresty and i liked forests yeah when i was little i wasn't <laughs> it's just that, yeah no it's cool it's a, like i'm not trying to yeah it's like, just the child brain of forest yeah. in real life good uh, forest in game must be good must be good it's um i mean yeah the vibe is fine it's just like one of the most confusing game areas i've ever played. yeah i remember hating the the alice in wonderland world yeah the alice in wonderland world that's not yeah those and like when you're like this you shrunk you're in like the big kitchen or something yeah uh i hated that yeah it's bad um there's like that's the thing is in two the level design is a lot better and it's also like way more um like communicative of like where you are in relationship to the other areas that's good and like yeah like it it, this is the thing is like everything about it is sort of improved and i think narratively it's a lot more interesting than one is also Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll be. But it also I'll be eager to see mess. what you think of three. Not that yeah. not that I've played it or anything, just based off the discourse around it. Yeah, I'm curious about I'm curious about how like the Toy Story and Monsters Inc. worlds are going to hit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear Woody say that you've never loved anyone. <laughs> that's why, you know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever he says in that game. Gets, gets on his real uh, shit for a second. Yeah, that's great. It's also, I think it's his, I think it's Tom It's Hanks Colin Hanks, right? Col- I think so. I was going to say, say Jim Hanks. Is his son? Maybe it's Jim Hanks. I don't, yeah. all the, there's so many, there's too many Hanks. Is it Jim Chet, Hanks? the other son? I don't know. Oh yeah, wait, wait was Chet the one who was like, yeah, Chet, my parents Chet's had coronavirus. The, yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> was like shirtless in the video. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Wowzers. Well, I think that, I think that wraps it up for me. Um, yeah, I mean. I pretty much hit everything I want to talk about. From yeah. Titanic to Chet Hanks. Yeah, Titanic to Chet Hanks. Maybe that's the episode title. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks, thanks for tuning in. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, Grace underscore Machine, uh, and you can find things that I write at GraceInTheMachine.com, and sometimes on Uppercut, um, and other places on the internet. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ColeHenry19. You can find me usually writing stuff over at Paste or elsewhere. I mean, my freelance sort of inertia has slowed down recently in the wake of uh, other, like, real, not real, but, like, 9 to 5 work. So yeah, maybe I'll write stuff in the future to look at Lego, so look out for it, I guess. But that's where you can find me. We are hosted by the Abnormal Mapping Network, which you can find at abnormalmapping.com and support on Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. Very good. Listen to the Great Gundam Project. Hell yeah. And with that, we'll see you on the next go round. Mm-hmm.
here. You must be a new arrival.